This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope you guys are having a great day out there today. Love having another chance to talk to you guys about Minnesota sports. Got some good stuff coming up here, as always. A lot of Vikings content on these Tuesday's shows in the fall, but um, I hope that's a good thing. I hope you guys enjoy that. Andrew Kramer will be with me here in just a little bit for a film review. Looking a lot at Kirk Cousins today. And, you know, some of the things he's been doing this season, some of the things he did on uh, on Sunday in particular to be efficient, especially on that final drive. He's been he's been very good in the fourth quarter of games so far this season and even made some plays with his feet on uh, on Sunday that helped the Vikings win that game 29-22 over the Bears, helped them to. You know, help them to be four and one. Not a lot of teams can say they are four and one right now. The Vikings just among a handful of teams at that mark or better, and they have to feel pretty good about that. Get some Vikings poetry as well, some Vikus to help further break down that win over the Bears. First, though, what did I miss? You know, this has been bugging me ever since. I kind of caught wind of the the general tone and the, uh, the the quotes that were coming out of the Twins' season-ending media availability on Monday. Now, full disclosure, I was not there. I was doing other things on Monday, but we had multiple Star Tribune writers there, and just some of the things coming out of you know Derek Falvey's uh, season-ending um, news conference with reporters just kind of rubbed me the wrong way, and so I want to get into that right now. Let's start with uh, what I think was kind of the key, the key couple of quotes from Falvey, just kind of talking about what their, you know, what their plan is this off season, and basically the plan is run it back. Essentially, he said, "Here's here's a here's a good one from Falvey. I recognize we still want to find a way to get better, but by and large, looking at the roster as is, if you just said poof, everyone is healthy at the beginning of next year, I feel like the base is good." Now, how do we find ways to add to it? How do we build a little more depth in our pitching staff? Question mark. And he kind of trailed off. Now, obviously, they might lose Carlos Correa. Almost certainly will this offseason. Um, but he's saying that they're better than their 78-84 and 84 record and third-place finish in the division suggests that superficially, sometimes people want personnel changes just because if you make a change, therefore you're trying. We had to assess whether or not change was needed, but this whole group, we feel like, is the right group to help us lead, help lead us in the direction we need to go. So with that, he said, no major changes to the on-field staff, doesn't anticipate coaches or anything like that. They did fire their head athletic trainer, Michael Salazar. He, Falvey confirmed that on Monday, but more or less, everybody coming back, not a lot of major roster moves, more like tweaks this offseason. Now, I get it to a certain degree. I get that they were beset by injuries. Lavelle Enil III had a great stat in his column last week about how the Twins led the American League in players on the injured list and games lost to the injured list. That is absolutely true. That said, um, I don't think this team had great organizational depth this season. I think they are a little bit delusional right now with how good they think they are. And I think this plan is in place because there is no other viable alternative. What else are they going to do besides run it back? They're, they're not going to go sign a whole bunch of expensive free agents. They're not going to probably make a whole bunch of trades. I mean, they did last year, but that was coming off of the 73-89 and 89 season where I think like they felt like they were definitely not on the right track. What, what else can they do right now except for hope that they can run it back, hope that they can be better, hope that their health is better? Um... 
does feel like they're putting a lot of this on the medical side, which again, understandable to a certain degree. But uh, but but putting this on Salazar, even if Falvey says it would be totally unfair to him and totally unfair to the work he put in to blame him for all the injuries, um, it does feel like if that's your only move, you are really saying health was our biggest problem this season. Oh, and by the way, uh, Salazar was was hired in um, in November of 2019 when Falvey was in charge. He had spent 19 years in the Cleveland organization before spending one year with the Padres before coming to the Twins. This was more or less Falvey's hand-picked guy to run the medical side for the Twins. That has obviously not worked out, so that is a level of you know ownership that Falvey has to take for that. If it's not working, I'm glad he made the change. Uh, you shouldn't stick with something just because you did it, but that piece of it needs to be um, considered as well. I don't know. I just look at this roster... I think the pitching's got a chance next year. The bullpen could be okay. The starting rotation should have more people to choose from than they have had in past years. If they get Kentameda healthy back, that gives them another pitcher perhaps for the top of the rotation. Sonny Gray, if they pick up that option, I think that's a good top of the rotation guy. Joe Ryan, if he keeps moving, making strides and can actually pitch well against good teams instead of bad teams. That's another thing, guys. Don't forget, the schedule gets harder next year. They don't get to beat up on the Royals and Tigers as much as they used to because the schedule is much more balanced, not so many games against the American League Central next year. To me, this feels like about a 500 team, maybe a little bit better next season if they have decent to good health. That's not a contending team. Maybe they could sell that as a step forward at the end of next season, but I don't see this as a real playoff contending team with this roster and certainly not a team that's going to contend to do any kind of damage in the playoffs. So kind of feels like they are where the Vikings were a year ago, hoping that running it back will yield some different results. And you saw what happened with the Vikings, right? They ran it back after 2020. 2021 was more of the same. And after that, they cleaned house. Um, So I think with that in mind, I think 2023 becomes very important. In this case, if you're making these decisions, if you're saying, we just need to stay the course, we need better luck, we have a good plan, we just need better fortune, we need to get our medical side sorted out, it's not the players, it's not the people who are leading them on the field, it's really just more or less this kind of nebulous idea of luck and injuries, then you better be right. That's that's the kind of the key thing I want to take away from all this. You had better be right if you're Derek Falvey and Thad Levine, because if you are wrong about this and you have another bad season next year, you're kind of running out of people to blame. And at that point, the blame might come from a little higher up and might fall on them. So we'll see what happens in 2023. Long ways away, they could still do some stuff this offseason. And maybe the injuries and the health proves to be the thing that unlocks this this roster's potential. They were in first place for a lot of this season. I get that. The September slide was largely with a lot of players that shouldn't be on the roster next year. I get all of that. I still just don't feel like that's all of the problem or even most of the problem. It's certainly some of the problem, but I don't feel like they're addressing enough, and we will find out who is right and who is wrong when 2023 rolls along. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. 
All right, it's time for a Tuesday film review with Andrew Kramer, covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune, of course, joins me every Tuesday here on Daily Delivery. And Andrew, like everyone's been talking about for years, Kirk Cousins, just clutch, making all those plays in the fourth quarter. It's been his reputation forever, right? I think he threw that interception at the end of the game just to set up. He's like, you know what? This is too easy. I need to, I need to win another game for us here. Let me just uh, throw a pick and, and try to see if we can make this a one-score game. But, uh, but joking aside, it was an interesting, um, interesting game for Cousins. He, he did throw that interception, but started the game with 17 consecutive completions, sets a Vikings record. Um, I think we've, we've all seen the stat at this point. A lot of us have seen the stat at this point that on all of his completions, there was not a Bears defender within a yard of his intended target. So it wasn't like he had to make a lot of pinpoint throws or, you know, throw it, make a lot of, you know, contested throws. But at, at the same time, kind of when they were at their best on Sunday, they were able to take what the bears were giving them. And um, they did just enough of that to, to win that game. Yeah. And to, I think to start, to, we were talking about when you bring up that stat of not a single guy within a completion within a yard. I mean, that just speaks to how wide open Justin Jefferson and whoever Kirk Cousins was throwing the ball to on that start, Kirk, after the game, called it automatic. Uh, he was getting questions about that that 17 for 17 start, and he was basically saying, look, it wasn't hard for me. This was pretty easy, uh, which in the NFL is, is pretty uh, uh, rare to come by. And I think part of it is um, that the Bears coaching staff didn't do a whole lot for their personnel. The Bears don't have guys. They're just not – they're not a very talented roster right now. They've got safety Eddie Jackson, who's pretty good in the secondary. But at corner, Jalen Johnson's their best guy, and he's been out the past three games with an injury. And so the guys that they had in there were not necessarily great starters. And so Justin Jefferson was able to – whenever he got a guy one-on-one – which in that 17 to, uh, for 17 start was pretty frequently. Uh, he made eight catches within that start. Um, he was uh, grabbing them at will. And, and like you illustrated, there wasn't many people around him while he was doing that. And, and then in the second half, we saw the Bears kind of pivot and do what they should have done to start the game, which is, hey, we're going to play deep coverage, safeties over the top. And Jefferson said after the game, I hate when they do that. <laughs> I bet he does because it limits his, <laughs> limits his opportunities. But it is does kind of speak to we've seen teams play Jefferson a lot of different ways this season. And sometimes with a great player that you're trying to defend, it it comes down to personnel more than it does in your scheme. And, you know, the teams that slowed him down had, you know, those like we've talked about, those good physical press corners that could disrupt him some at the line of scrimmage and got some help on top of that. Um, but it, it was pretty easy pitch and catch for for cousins. But, you know, we we talked before we even started recording a lot of those drives were still pretty long and methodical. It was the 12 play drive to start. It was 11 plays. It was nine plays. And of course the one that wins it for them in the end is 17 plays, 75 yards, seven minutes. They convert five out of five third downs. Um, And I was, you know, kind of being facetious at the jump, like clutch Kirk, but he, you know, that interception aside and a few stumbles and kind of mid game aside, it seemed like he was making the right decisions and the smart plays. Yeah, and that was kind of their game plan. Was They weren't necessarily going to try and bust this one wide open and just take 40-yard shots and get into second and 10s and third and 10s. You can tell by their statistics when you look at going 12 of 15 on third down, uh, 11 of their 15 third down tries were third and five or better. Uh, that's heaven in the NFL, and it speaks to what they were doing on first and second down, which was just kind of dinking and dunking. We'll hand the ball off to Dalvin Cook a lot. 
Um, and then we'll throw these short passes and use play action quite a bit, which is what they leaned on um, on Sunday. And that kind of helped them set up these easy third downs and then just kind of continue to move the chains, manage the clock, control uh, time of possession. At one point, time of possession was just ridiculous. It was like 20 minutes to three or four minutes or something like that. Um, that that was kind of their approach. And, and I think it spoke to just the execution they thought they could have against this defense. And frankly, they thought, you know, we could just kind of bleed this game pretty quickly and get it over with. Um, and even though it was a close game, it was still like a two hour, 45 minute game. It was. And I want to zoom in on that last drive in a minute. But let, let's 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 before we zoom too far in, let's let's look extra close at the final the final touchdown where, where Cousins you know, sneaks it in from a yard out. It's a third and one. It's one of five third downs or five for five on that drive on third downs to keep things going, which, you know, can be a, a tough way to live, even on those third and shorts. Like you have to execute on those plays. And we've seen plenty of times in the past where the Vikings have wanted to be in third and short, and then something happens, a, the pressure, the pressure up the middle gets to gets to cousins or a run gets stuff, something like that. And they got a punt. So on that drive in particular, impressive. And on that play, which you wrote about Tuesday, um, that was kind of a, a, some, a play where Cousins had some options on that play, and it's interesting to see kind of how he has maybe a little bit of that latitude this year. Yeah, in, in the red zone offense has been a topic, obviously, because they struggled against the Saints where they kicked three field goals and five trips, and everyone's like, why can't you score touchdowns in the red zone? Um, and, but one of the touchdowns they did score against New Orleans uh, was kind of a similar packaged play as what they brought out at the end against Chicago here. Um, where Kirk Cousins apparently has the option to kind of turn on that play and hand it off to Adam Thielen on a jet sweep kind of fly motion coming horizontally um, in parallel with the line of scrimmage. Uh, but instead, he decided to kind of force forward and, and, and plunge forward and try to get that touchdown, which he did. And Adam Thielen said after the game, I was a little nervous because I thought I was definitely getting that that handoff because of just the way the Bears played it, kind of how open it was on the on the perimeter. And Kirk decided to, you know, play Superman a little bit and take it himself. Um, it speaks, I think, to the versatility that this offense has and the trust that they're putting in the quarterback. And I think it's one of the bigger differences um, from previous regimes with Kirk Cousins and, and previous offenses and maybe just older offenses uh, where things are much more in that, the hands of the coach, much more controlled. When I call this play, this is what's going to happen. I mean for this to happen, and I want it to happen that way. Whereas uh, – Kevin O'Connell's talked about this. They're, they're going to call sometimes multiple plays in the huddle and Kirk will just check A or B one or two. Uh, sometimes there will be multiple plays and options built within the play, like the RPOs and stuff like that, um, or, or the pass options. And so this was one where he could have handed it off and he decided to take it. And uh, it's good for the Vikings because the previous week you saw him hand it off to Justin Jefferson on a similar play. Jefferson walks it in. It gives defenses a lot to think about and it makes them hesitate and, and it buys you that extra second uh, down at the red zone where seconds are pretty precious. Yeah, and it's interesting. You're right. The, the, the idea that he has that, that capability of, of doing that. And I think we're seeing in, in a lot of the games a, a lot of what you just talked about, which is you know, they're almost kind of running a, 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 a pro version of a college-style offense on much sometimes where they hurry up to the line and there's still 20 seconds on the play clock, and then they kind of reset – I don't know if they look to the sideline or Cousins has kind of diagnosed what the coverage might look like. And then they're either checking to, it seems like they're checking to one of two or three plays, right? Is that kind of what's going on there? Uh, yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because they've used that tempo before. And it's not necessarily hurry up because they're not running up to snap it. They're running up 
to force the defense to set. They're forcing them to kind of commit and say like, oh, the defense is hurrying and thinking you're going to snap it. So they're saying, okay, we got to settle into our coverage and what we're going to do. It doesn't allow the defense to play its tricks and do its kind of things, get into its bag and, and try to throw you off. Instead, you kind of force the issue. And the Vikings did that actually on that quarterback sneak where they opened up in shotgun. Dalvin Cook is right next to Kirk. They open up in shotgun at third and one at the goal line. So the right. defense is thinking like, okay, you're going to throw. They got a bunch set of wide receivers to one side. And so the defense is like talking through like, okay, you got this guy, you got this guy. They're trying to make sure they're on the same page. And then all of a sudden Kirk kind of runs up to the line and Dalvin splits out wide and it's an empty backfield, but Kirk's back there. And, and then all of a sudden Adam's going in motion. So there's a lot for defenses to think of and keep track of. Uh, and, and again, it buys that seconds, buys that hesitation. And they're doing that in the middle of the field in between the twenties as well. Like you mentioned, where they'll run up to the line and kind of just get that defense to set. And then Kirk kind of has a better idea of what he's facing. Yeah, that's interesting because it probably also has the added benefit. And this is probably, again, some of the things that Kevin O'Connell probably talks about, right? It's it's the, the winning on the margins type stuff. It's it's making things seem hard for your opponent that maybe are simpler for you. You know what you're going to do. They don't know what you're going to do. Um, but it also probably has the added benefit of when you play that tempo, you maybe keep a team from subbing or getting into a package. And then you can maybe exploit certain matchups if you've gotten players on the field for a running down and now all of a sudden you're going to play a passing down because you've, you've rushed guys out there <clears throat> or kept them from getting their guys out there. There's probably that benefit as well. Yeah. And you'll see them execute it exactly at, at those times where if they run it uh, and they get into heavy personnel, force the defense into a heavier personnel and they run it. And then all of a sudden you're in a, a second and long and it might be more of a passing situation. They'll just hit that tempo and force defense defenses to stay in those bigger packages and try to take advantage of it. Um, yeah, they're not world beaters, certainly at this point, but it, it's it's been helping them uh, in the margins in some of these games. Like I said, it uh, seems like every game is a uh, is a contest to see how they can score in the upper 20s in the most unusual <laughs> way. This one being, uh, you know, get 21 right away and then wait till the very end to get that uh, to get to 29. Um, really quick, Andrew, before we go, I just call, I wanted to, to kind of run through some of the bigger plays on that 17 play drive. Um, you had, you know, they start out with the, with a false start penalty. So it's really more like an 80 yard drive because start from first and 15 at their 20, but right away they get 15 back and a first down right away to Irv Smith. That felt like a pretty important play. He connected with Smith again on a third down play around midfield, converted another third down where he scrambled for it, got Madison on another third down for 11 yards. That was third and eight. Then of course the, the sneak, those felt like the biggest, the biggest plays in the drive and kind of different different levels of you know, kind of Kirk Cousins and the offense experiencing success in different ways. Yeah, that scramble, I think, was the biggest play of them all because because that's at that point, I think they're inside the 10. It's third and five. Um, Kirk is, is and then that's, that's a decent enough distance to, to cover uh, for Kirk, who's not the most mobile quarterback. And for him to recognize that, pull the trigger quickly and run the way he did, it allowed them to burn more clock because you're thinking at that point, field goal. Like they're trying to just burn the clock down. It's a seven-minute drive. Like you're just... At that point, you're just trying to get to the very end and win by two when just, you know, you don't think the Bears are going to march down on you. And so then you get uh, inside the five or wherever it was after that scramble. That allows them to burn that much more clock and then eventually punch them in for the touchdown and seal that game. And that scramble by Kirk, any any benefit you can get with his legs, uh, you got to take it. If you're the Vikings, you don't see it too often. Oh, yeah. And it was it was interesting to me, too. There was a certain awareness he had not just to step up and run, but he he didn't get it by a lot. He got it by maybe half a yard. And that's a play where if you 
slide, you're a yard or two short. Like he had to go and take a hit on that play, but he knew kind of where the, where the marker was and that in order to get the first down, he was probably gonna have to get hit. Yeah. And there's some awareness. Uh, uh, players have shown it here where you can tell that some of the coaching they're doing behind the scenes is kind of sticking out. And, and what Dancer did at the end of the game too, to strip the ball out of Smith Marset's hands and then to go to the ground, not go out of bounds, not continue running and screw up. Um, just some of the awareness stuff with these guys is, is showing through too in these critical situations. And I think it's helped them win, you know, three one score games back to back to back. Absolutely. Well, we'll see if it continues. Captain comeback, Kirk Cousins, like we said, he's, uh, you know, I don't think he had this reputation going in, but I, I do wonder at a certain point what, you know, if we don't want to make too much of it at this point, but what the relationship with he and, and Kevin O'Connell, how much of that goes into these moments and how much of it is just it's five games and sometimes these things are going to happen. Yeah, Kirk did talk about it. He said the, the head coach is definitely in my corner and it makes a world of difference. And I, I think he's, he can say that because he knows whether it's from Washington or here in Minnesota under Mike Zimmer, it's been different before. And when uh, the head coach is not only your offensive play caller, but somebody that is going to see the game the way you do, I think it does help. And, and I think you're seeing him be comfortable in some of these moments, certainly. Indeed. Well, that that uh, that third and goal touchdown run, that was interesting. Read more about that in Andrew's film review on Tuesday, startribune.com. Andrew, we'll do this again next week. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks. Just a postscript on my conversation with Andrew. You know, Kirk Cousins having an interesting season right now. Seven touchdowns, five interceptions, completion rate about what it has been over his career, 66.2%. But uh, Passer rating, 86.4. That would be the lowest mark of any year that he's been a starter. Um, you know, Yards per completion, yards per attempt, all of those things are career lows right now. The biggest thing he has going for him right now are three fourth-quarter comebacks and three game-winning drives those last three weeks. So there's definitely room in Kirk Cousins' game to elevate a little bit more beyond you know, just those the really good work he's done in the fourth quarter. They need some more consistency out of him. They've been able to get away with it. He's only been sacked eight times this season. That's pretty good for where he has been over the last several years. So we'll see how that all plays out as the year goes along. But some of those peripheral numbers for him, not great. And they'll want to see those climb as the season goes along. Would you like to hear some poetry right now? I bet you would. I bet that's why you listen to all your favorite sports podcast. But actually, this is this might be the only one where you hear poetry on a weekly basis, and especially Vikings-based haikus, vikus, if you will. Um, maybe these are good luck. What do you think, Keith? Um, probably not. Probably not. Well, they weren't really last year, but this year so far, the Vikings are four and one. And the only proper way to express how... I think I'd be leading a much different life if poetry had been lucky for me. It's <laughs> a good point, or at least if, uh, if strange little writings about the Vikings were, were, uh, were, 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 such a, were such a thing. But you, sir, Keith Rashad, have three Vikings haikus off of the 29-22 to 22 win over the bears on Sunday. So uh, let's get to it. Okay. Number one, just keep winning games. I am here for a good time, not for a long time. Okay. I like it. I, it, it speaks a little bit to what I wrote already on a Monday morning, which is we, I, I think we are sometimes in danger of, 
overanalyzing the the what or the or the why of things and not just appreciating that they're four and one right like it, however they did it if they won 50 to nothing or if they had to score on a 17 play drive at the end of that game if the end result is a win the end result is a win this is not you know the old college football format where if you won by a certain amount you might get more votes in the poll and that would improve your your improve your chances like you either make the plays or you don't. The Packers didn't make the plays on Sunday, and it was beautiful. And the Vikings did, and uh, they're four and one. And the Green Bay is three and two. This team, let's just say, I am still skeptical about their uh, opportunity to win the Super Bowl. That I'm not exactly yes. sure that this is a championship team, but it's starting to remind me more and more of, you know, when maybe you were a younger person in life, and perhaps you decided to uh, date someone that you were pretty sure you weren't going to marry, right? And uh, you're just saying, all right, uh, this is not someone who I intend on bringing home to mom and dad. Sure. However, I would like to spend some time with this particular person. <laughs> okay. Okay. Knowing full well that it is not going to end well or that it's not going to be a it's forever It's not forever. Day. It's not forever, yeah. Right. And... When it comes to this Vikings team, that's where I'm at with them. I just want to date them for as long as they are willing to make me happy. Okay. And this particular team is, again, not sure their championship caliber, but like you said, they are four and one. They're yeah. four and one. They just keep winning games and they are, they are not just winning them, but winning them at the end in the way that we have seen multiple iterations of Vikings teams fail. How many times, how many failed drives have we seen in the last two minutes of games? Oh, yeah. And, you know, I don't care how it gets to be this way, but it's always exciting at the end and they're finding ways to win these things. And I'm just along for the ride for as long as it goes, right? I am not yeah. bringing this Vikings team home to meet mom and dad anytime no. soon. No, Right. Uh, I don't, I'm not buying any rings for this Vikings team. No, and they're uh, probably not earning any rings. <laughs> probably not earning any. So uh, we're just going to enjoy this ride for as long as it goes, because I just don't care anymore. I don't want to complain about how ugly the win was. I no. don't want to whine about how they didn't look right, or there's this or that thing that's wrong with them. We talked about it before, last year they were one in three, Coming into this game, they're three and one. It's so much better. Yeah. So you, winning always is better than losing. And you're right. When we when we focus so much on style points, you do lose some of the enjoyment of it. And you know, they've they've won three pretty dramatic games three weeks in a row. And even if you're if you go into it thinking, well, this can't last, or uh, they're probably gonna lose some of these later on, like eh, you kind of lose some of the fun of the moment. So I like I like your new perspective on these uh, 2022 Vikings. And I fully expect you to keep that rosy outlook for the entirety of the season. Well, if there's one thing you can bet on, that's for sure. Yes. Okay. okay. Number two. Haiku two. Yes. Justin Jefferson had a better QBR than did Kirk Cousins. <laughs> and it was a pretty good, that was a wacky play, right? That was, I, I loved that. I loved uh, along the way to getting those 21 points, how they were just like, there were anything, anything was going at that point. And didn't they do like a, like a double ended? They did that, that, that little uh, 
flipped to Jalen Rieger at the goal line. They did the double pass. They were just like, you know what? I think we're just going to play. We're going to run out the whole. We, we've been practicing these plays. Let's just bust them out and use them. But it was it was kind of fun, and Justin Jefferson can can sling it all right. Well, you know, here for a good time, not for a long time, right? But it's also one of these things where it, it, this haiku is not intended, although some might read it as uh, this way. It's not intended to be a slight on Kirk Cousins, who in the long run had a pretty good game. He did, yeah. But it's it's to note that Justin Jefferson is transcendent, right? Yes. And I just happened to be looking through the stats just because I wanted to see a few things. And I noticed this weird thing that he actually had a higher QBR on the, uh, yes. did Kirk Cousins, but it's, it's like, we've talked about Kirk a lot. We've made this point a lot that the problem with Kirk Cousins is not Kirk Cousins. The problem with Kirk Cousins is his contract. Yes. And if you were making $10 million a year, we would be hooting and hollering about how great he is and how the Vikings need to surround him with all kinds of talent because you don't get this type of quarterback play uh, this cheap. Right. And so it's not about Kirk, but it is to note that Justin Jefferson is a transcendent player and a transcendent player can cover over so many problems with yes. a team, right. That it can make it, it, it can make a team that is subpar look much better than what it actually is. And his capacity to elevate the team is more and more on display with, with each year and each week. And he just, he is amazing to the point where he had a better quarterback rating than the quarterback. Well, and remember, like, obviously you do remember that, that, you know, when they traded Randy Moss, when they got rid of him the first time, um, it, uh, you know, they, they get the, the package back from the Raiders and they get the number seven overall pick and they immediately take Troy Williamson, the, the hand-picked mm. replacement for, Randy Moss, and it's supposed to be the this like replacement with no hands. <laughs> the, 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 yeah, let's just leave it at that. That was good. That was good. Um, and he, you know, he has all these to try to get him his vision fixed, whatever. He just couldn't catch the ball. It, they want, but they wanted it to be this like one for one swap. And, and anytime that happens, anytime a team seems to draft for need, especially when they have just, you know, gotten rid of a known commodity. It seems like it's doomed to fail. And so when the Vikings traded Stefan Diggs to Buffalo and then used the draft capital from Stefan Diggs trade to draft Justin Jefferson, you're like, well, what's going to happen here? And, and then it turns out to be like a great trade for both teams. And Justin Jefferson is like you say, this transcendent player. It just, it very seldom works out this way for a team. And it's, it is, you know, we got to give Rick Spielman credit on that one. That was a very good draft pick. And that that's a player who gives them a chance, even at a position where you are reliant on a quarterback to a certain degree, gives them a chance every game to, to, to score some points. Would you say that Rick Spielman as a GM, if we were to analogize it to a different sport, would, uh, what would his batting average be? Would he be hitting above the Mendoza line or not? I think he'd be above the Mendoza line. I think Rick Spielman as a baseball player um, would probably hit like 240 every year with 17 home runs and 60 RBIs. I don't, you know, I don't think he has that much power. Yeah. He's got a little pop in the bat though. Okay. Haiku number three. Okay. This one's a little bit of a sleight of hand. Okay. Okay. Right. So just understand that. Okay. They had a big lead. 
yet they could not recover. A-Rodg is grumpy. <laughs> there you go. You had me going there for a minute. I was like, oh, he's still talking about the Vikings, but then curveball, it's the Packers. And that, yeah, because they were up 17-3 in 2010. And again, that was something I wrote about um, as part of what I wrote Monday as well. It was like, those were very two very similar games, right? The only difference being the Vikings made the plays in the fourth quarter and Green Bay didn't. And it was it actually was kind of shocking to watch those two passes get batted down because you're just so used to Aaron Rodgers rescuing Green Bay to a certain degree. And I don't, uh, you know, this season's 17 games long. They're still three and two. Their only losses were that one and then the one of the Vikings, and they still get to play the Vikings at Lambeau. Vikings are three and zero in the division, but all three of them are home you know, home wins. They still got to play all these teams on the road. Um, but right now, something seems a little off with. Green Bay, and I don't think it's just the rookie receivers. It's, anytime you watch them, it's just something's not quite right there. Hey, wait a minute. You mean there might not be something quite right with Aaron Rodgers? I know, right? Has Crazy. anybody pointed this out yet? Some... Has anybody, <laughs> anybody noticed this yet? His body language is even worse than usual this year, though. Royce keeps saying he's just playing for the paycheck this year, and that's that's a fun it's a fun thought to think about, but it's just you watch the Packers and, you know, because they were on in the London game and they've been on primetime other times and whatnot, you've I've probably seen them a few times this year and something doesn't quite seem right. And uh, that that's okay with me. Well, and in, in keeping with the, the theme of today's segment, right? The here for a good time, not for a long time. How many thousands of Sundays, how many millions of Sundays in the course of our lives have the roles been reversed, right? How oh, yeah. many times... Have we seen the Vikings fail in the last two minutes and watched uh, the Packers win in the last two minutes, whether it's Rodgers, whether it was Favre before that, whether he was even a handful of times with Don Mikowski before that, right? Or Lynn Dickey. <laughs> so it was just like really nice, really just it was the the cherry on top of the Sunday to, to have the rules reversed, to not only have the Vikings win, and win in this fun, dramatic fashion in the last two minutes of the game, but then also to have the Packers fall on their face. It was just, it was just beautiful. It was. And not to rain on anybody's parade or help them not feel good about where the Vikings are, where the Packers are right now, but don't get too ahead of yourselves. I remember plenty of times in past seasons where the Vikings have you know, gained an early upper hand on Green Bay only to see that fade as the season went along so we'll see how this whole thing plays out but right now if you're a Vikings fan you have to feel pretty good about where this team is at and really good about where they are in the standings let's finish quickly with the cooler another game another roughing the passer penalty that got a lot of attention this one Chris Jones on Derek Carr in the Monday night game he forced a fumble strip sack but landed on Carr they said with his full body weight, therefore drawing a flag. NFL's got to figure this out because plays that look like regular regular football plays, plays that in the heat of the moment can't be legislated against, these are getting flagged for penalties that are changing the outcomes of games. The, the league's got to figure this out. You've got to protect the quarterback. I get that. You don't want these guys having injuries. Call it the Aaron Rodgers, Anthony Barr rule if you want. I do think there is some logic behind it, but you've got to figure this out in a way that doesn't make it look like the game is tainted in some way or that the game is not being allowed to play out at full speed. So I'll be interested to see if they are able to come back at this after the 2022 season and figure out some sort of better compromise. 
That will do it for today. A lot of good stuff coming up the rest of this week. Chip Scoggins should be with me on Wednesday to talk about his football across Minnesota column and to talk about Gophers versus Illinois this weekend coming up. Probably get Chip on a couple other subjects as well. Sarah McClellan, who covers the Wild, will be with me on Thursday to set up that season, which begins Thursday for the Wild. So plenty of good things coming up for the rest of the week. It's a busy time, as we always talk about, but I would not have it any other way. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Back at it tomorrow.